I'm going to invite you to stand as I read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I I really respected that children's message on the genealogy in Matthew. I've never had the courage to preach on that. Um, I just figured people's eyes would glaze over, but she did a great job, didn't she? Tell her that if you see her later on this morning. We're looking at, um, at, uh, I'm sorry, 16 to 18, 16 to 18, three little verses. But by the way, if you don't have these memorized, memorize them. First Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, three little verses, circle them in your Bible and think about them. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is the word of our Lord. Please be seated. I want to ask you to memorize those three verses. And if you've never really thought about memorizing before, jot them down before you forget it. Or call me on the phone, I'll give them to you if you get home this afternoon and say, now what was he preaching on? Because um, I think joy is one of the most misunderstood concepts in our culture, maybe worldwide, but especially in our culture. And I started thinking about this, um, I guess, the 1st of October when the Christmas decorations came up. And it intensified at Halloween, and now with the first cold front, Houston is into it full tilt. Isn't that right? I mean, everybody's digging out sweaters and having fun. And for the next two months, actually, for the next at least six weeks, six, seven weeks, uh, we're going to go into this enormous experience called the holiday season. And uh, with, with tinsel and cards and gifts and family get-togethers, and all kinds of things, and church services, and uh, used to be Hallmark had a Christmas movie every night, and now everybody, I think there are five different stations with Christmas movies every night. I know this because keeping the kids, I'm looking for something to watch, all our grandkids, and there you go, they say Christmas movies are safe. It's, um, it, it, it's this. It's an annual kind of thing, and it's it's great. I love it. I'm a Christmas nut. I love the decorations. I love turkey. I love pecan pie, especially. I, it's it's, all, it's a wonderful thing. <clears throat> My problem is, and you know it as well as I do, that come January the second, when people start packing away the tinsel. So many are going to find their hearts echoing the words, even if they never heard the song, is that all there is? Where's the joy? We worked so hard, we'd worked so hard, our expectations were so high, we did so much, and yet somehow, somehow, where I had wanted joy inside, that three-letter word, J-O-Y, I feel joylessness. And this is especially troubling because in John 15, Jesus said that he has come that our joy might be full. You see, that desire for joy inside, whatever joy is, and everybody's got different definitions, but everybody feels it and everybody wants it, 
And more and more throughout this season, you're going to see people talking about it and singing about it. Whatever that yearning inside is, it's not just a, a humanly manufactured thing. Jesus said it's why he came, that in fact it is a noble desire. It is a God-given desire, a desire for joy is something that goes deep within us into those parts actually searching for the divine. And so why is it, I want to ask you, that we work so hard and so can so easily miss the mark, so easily miss what we're working for? And how is it that we could do it differently? I started thinking about this uh, years ago as a pastor when I saw so many people going through this every year. Uh, and then I got an insight into what was going on quite a few years ago when I was reading the Westminster Confession. I, was, I like to do different readings and things, history especially, and I was reading this. And uh, the, the Westminster Confession is one of the foundational documents of Western Christianity. It was the constitution, in effect, of the, of the Church of Scotland. And if you don't remember anything else from this this sermon, you can remember this because this is Westminster Methodist Church, right? And whatever, however, however you got the name, you were named after one of the foundational documents of the Christian faith, the Westminster Confession. And it shaped other ways of being Christian all over the world. The Methodists drew from it. It was, and it was written in a, it's an interesting document. It doesn't say we believe this, we believe this, we believe that. It, rather, it's, interest, it's written as a Q&A. It asks a question, gives an answer. Ask another question, gives an answer. And so as you go through reading it, you're reading question, answer, question, answer, and you're getting foundational beliefs of the Christian faith. And the very first one is, what is the chief purpose and end of humanity? That's a pretty good place to start, isn't it? Why are you here? What is your chief purpose and end? Answer, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Period. Everything else is second, secondary. You are here for one reason, to learn how to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And that is your end goal. And I've, I, was, I was struck by that, first, because it's pretty simple. Second, because the more you think about it, the more powerful it is. And third, because there was that interesting word, joy. Why are you here? To learn how to glorify God and have joy with him forever. And so I started looking at it. And I started looking at that, those two concepts. They put together glorify God and enjoy him forever. They put those together. I started looking at the way they were coupled and the rank order. And did you know that the Hebrew word for glorify is very, 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 very close to the word for thank you, for thanksgiving, for gratitude? You could actually translate it. What is your, the end, chief end and purpose of your life? It is to give thanks to God and in that thanksgiving, find joy with him forever. 
You are here to learn how to give thanks to God, and in that thanksgiving, find joy with him forever. And I started thinking about that because that's riveting in its simplicity and powerful as you begin to think about it. And then I noticed one other thing, and that is the rank order is exactly the opposite of the way we usually think. As you watch television shows, as you watch people, as you watch your own heart, as you go through life, how do we think, where do you think joy comes from? When I get something great, then I will feel joy. When God does something wonderful for me, then I will feel joy. Then when God does all this other stuff, then I will feel joy and then I will give thanks. When you are kind to me, then I will feel joy. Then I will thank you. What do they say? They say, it is when I give thanks first that I find joy. It sounds exactly backwards. Why should I give thanks when I'm not rejoicing? You haven't done anything for me yet. And yet, I'm going to supposed to give thanks to you. And then I will start feeling joy. Or maybe you have done something for me, but I'm not feeling much. I'm going to then say, what does it mean to say, I'm going to thank you first. And then I'm going to start feeling the joy for which my heart yearns. I got so puzzled with this. And then I remembered an experience I had at a concert with Sock Perlman that was so instructive to me. Uh, and go with me on this because it, it was it may be instructive for you. Years ago, years ago, when we were living in San Antonio, my wife uh, asked me to go with her to hear Itzhak Perlman, world famous violinist. And it was several months in the future, and you know how it is in marriage. I said, sure. It was two months away. Hey, it's easy to say yes. But then the two months came. And it was a Monday night, it was in the fall, and Dallas was playing for the championship. And I was a Dallas nut at that fan at that point. I didn't have the Astros to cheer for. And <clears throat> I still don't have the Texans. But the, sorry about that. But the uh, but we were living in San Antonio, Isaac Perlman was coming, it was a Monday night, and I had made a commitment to go with Karen to hear this world-class violinist. And Lord, I, I, I came up with every excuse I could, every excuse I could, you know, about why we can't do it. Can't we do something? Is there any way we could put this off? And she kept shooting him down and saying, no, 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 we, we got to go. We're going. And, and I don't know how it is with you and your relationships, but in mine, especially my marriage, every now and then you just do what the other person wants to do. And, and, and you think about how gracious you're being and surrendering and doing it. And then you kind of, you know how you play this game, then you grumble all the way. You grumble all the way and you just kind of, you want to make sure they know you're doing them a huge favor and you're being gracious about it, even as you whine. And um, that's what I was doing. And finally, Karen said, be quiet. And I, okay. And so we went to see, and you could tell all the people coming in to hear Isaac Perlman. Because you could see the singles, and you could see the people on dates, and you could see the groups, and then you could see the married couples. 
And it was so amazing because all the married couples looked the same. The guy grumbling and the wife pulling him by the ear, you know, come on, come on, you're coming in. And the guy not wanting to anybody. I heard these people talking about these guys talking about Dallas as they were walking in. It was even worse for the couple behind us. We sat down. And before this, before the concert started, and, and 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 as bad as Karen and I were, or rather as bad as I was being to Karen, they had even more going on behind us because he was sitting there back and he was just barely whispering, you know. He was looking at her and saying, Dallas is getting ready to kick off right now. And she was saying, Be quiet, you're bothering people. He was saying, I think it's time. They just kicked off. She said, Be quiet. A little culture won't kill you. They were that kind of thing going on the whole time. And then Itzhak Perlman came out. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen him, and, but this was back in his prime. Uh, he was disabled early on in his life as a child. He has to walk on crutches. It's painful to watch. He walks slowly out. No introduction. Nothing. They just opened the curtain. He came walking out on his crutches with somebody to turn his music. No introduction, no pre-music, nothing. He just sat down, and then he started to play. And it was like magic. I mean... I don't know how long he played, but it felt like a minute and a half. And finally he got through, and it just as one people, the whole, con the whole audience stood up cheering and applauding. It was a standing ovation just instantly. I mean, the guy behind me who had been in this football frame of mind pretty solidly, he was going, go, 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 you know, getting a group chant going for, for Itzhak Perlman. This amazing violinist, this amazing music. All of us were just blown away. And so he came back out on the crutches and he did an encore. And we were cheering and applauding again. Came back out, did an encore. The third time he didn't come back, he didn't, he just st stood there and then he sat back down and did an encore. Finally, he ran out of encores. And he said this, and everybody was laughing and rejoicing. It was this amazing evening. And, 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 and so he began to play Danny Boy. Danny Boy, this world class Jewish violinist playing an Irish drinking song. Uh, and and, and the, the, the moment was just people got so carried away that the guy behind me began singing with him. And his wife was so carried away, she let him, you know. It was that kind of evening. Finally, he had to go. He had to play, catch a plane. We were still applauding, still cheering. And somewhere in the middle of the whole thing, I remember realizing that I was having almost as much fun applauding as I was listening to his music. Now stay with me. It's always interesting when we get an insight into our own hearts. I was having almost as much fun applauding as I was listening. And the more I applauded, the more open I was to his music. And then he would play, and then I would applaud some more, and then he would play, and I would applaud some more. And I became more and more open to his music each time I applauded, and more and more open to the people around me, until by the time he left, we group of completely different individuals, many of which did not want to be there in the first place, had become a whole, a unity, a community, 
sharing in blessing and joy we had never expected to find. Isn't that the model our ancestors in the faith had? That as God gives us a gift, we respond with thanksgiving. And in that response, we find a joy we could find in no other way. Because when God gives us a gift, then we respond with thanksgiving. Our hearts become more open. We become more aware of the power of that gift and the other gifts he has given us. And so we want to respond more with thanksgiving. And so our hearts open up further and we become even more aware of his gifts. And we respond even further with thanksgiving. And before you know it, we've got a spiral of joy going on. A spiral of joy out of which comes a peace and a strength and a courage and a perspective that we can find in no other way and that lifts us up and suddenly brings us alive in a way we will never otherwise be except when caught up in that spiral of joy. That's the model they were talking about. And if you begin to think about it, you all of a sudden begin to understand something about joy. You will hear so many definitions of joy in life as you go along. Remember this one because it's the only one that's true. Joy is the product of your grateful response to the gifts of God. Period. You start identifying the gifts of God and feeling thankful and lifting up your thanks, you will begin to feel joy. You can't stop. You'll find it sneaking into your heart and you'll begin to find it energizing everything you are. Joy is the product of your grateful response to the gifts of God. And if you begin to think about it this way, you begin to understand two things, two things that are very, very crucial, I think. Here's the first. You begin to understand how you can kill joy. We've all heard of a kill joy before. It's an old saying. We all have been kill joys. And we all are pretty good at it. How do you kill joy? Well, you break the spiral. You break the spiral. Itzhak Perlman could have broken the spiral, couldn't he? Sure he could have. Itzhak Perlman, all he had to do was come out there, look out the, you know, look out, out, out through the curtains, look at all us group of Texans out there, and they say, oh, look at these Texans. They don't know anything. I mean, a lot of them are like Steve Wendy. They didn't want to be here in the first place. I'm just going to go out and go through the motions. And if he had, we would have known it. Uh, there's no excellence without the heart. In a concert, in a church, in a marriage, no excellence without the heart. We would have known it, and there wouldn't have been much going on in that room. And we could have killed it, couldn't we? Itzhak Perlman could have come out and done this amazing thing, given us this amazing gift, and we could have sat there and said, yep, yep, there it is, world-class player. Man, doesn't get any better than that. Okay, let's go, let's go to Dairy Queen. You say, oh, we never do that. 
We'd never get up and walk out without applauding. We'd never say, yep, 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 looks good, let's go. We got other things to do. We'd never just, that'd be so rude to get up and walk away without, you know, without ever applauding, without ever saying thank you. We never would do that. But how often do we do it with God? Did you notice the beauty of the morning today? What filled your prayers yesterday? You know, Psalm 103 says, bless the Lord, O my heart. And people will ask me, they'll say, how can I bless the Lord? I mean, what do I have to give him that he doesn't already have? And the answer, of course, is very simple, your heart. God has everything in the world except your heart. When you give him thanks, you're giving him your heart. You're giving him the one gift he doesn't automatically have in response to all the gifts he's given you. And when you give him your gift, you are, of course, opening your heart to all the other gifts he has given, making yourself more aware of them. And he, his other gifts begin to become more powerful for you, and he is able to give you more. And all of a sudden, you start, being, you start wanting to thank him more, and you get the spiral of joy going. It's so easy for us to kill it. Think how often we have killed it. Think how many encores you have missed. And I, by simply taking for granted this amazing, the amazing gifts he has given us every day of our lives. And, 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 and if we do that, when we kill the spiral of joy, when we say, oh, yep, 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 really great, amazing, you know, uh, this, is, this is amazing stuff. Uh, let's go to Dairy Queen. Uh, it, it, when we do that, what could Itzhak Perlman have said to us? Could he have come out there and said, you stupid Texans, come back here and applaud. I gave you a great gift. Come back here and applaud. Because that way we could have an amazing evening. No, you can't. You can, you can never command Thanksgiving. It's like parents and grandparents learn, you know, if you, you do so much for kids and you, when they're little, like, you know, our grandkids, very young, we say, here's some ice cream. <laughs> say, thank you. Thank you. Okay. Do you feel thanked? No, no, you're training. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Cute kid. Hey, but um, how, when, how do you feel thanked? You can never command it. God cannot command it. God cannot make you grateful. Isn't that amazing? You have the power to say no to God. What could he do? Nothing. Because the only way Thanksgiving works is if it is voluntary. Families know this. Friends know this. Every now and then, when a child or a grandchild or a friend, somebody in your Sunday school class come to you and says, I want to thank you. I want to thank you. Suddenly the world is golden. And suddenly the spiral of joy is beginning. If you think about what we're talking about, the joy is the product of your grateful response to the gifts of God. You suddenly understand how you can kill it.
Now, you, when you find yourself dusty and dry inside and going through the motions and wishing there was more to life, all of a sudden you know there is more to life. And you know how to get it because you're killing the joy right now. Which is the second thing we can say. You know how to rejoice always. That's what St. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that can really slay you if you're reading the Bible carefully. He says, rejoice always. St. Paul was shipwrecked, beaten, whipped. I mean, he did all kinds of, thrown in jail. Rejoice always, you say. What, what in the world are you talking about? How can you say rejoice always? How can you say that you can always have joy? And the reason is because the way he ends that little, that little sentence, he says, rejoice always in everything give thanks. If in everything you are giving thanks, you will begin to find a key to having joy always. Now, notice he does not say for everything that gives thanks. I don't think he was thankful for being whipped, shipwrecked, and all that other stuff. I was with a, a man yesterday whose wife has just discovered he's had cancer. I was talking with a, a woman uh, earlier this week who has been laid off from a job. I don't think they're happy about that. And they're not giving thanks for those things. But what he says is give thanks in everything. What does he mean by that? What he means is that joy and happiness are two different things. Bad things happen to you, you're unhappy. Good things happen to you, you're happy. You hear the difference. You hear, the, you hear it in the word. Happy grows out of the word happening. What happens to you makes you happy or makes you unhappy. And the Bible says there's nothing wrong with that. That's just normal. But joy is not the same as happiness. Joy comes from knowing that there is one gift you've been given that can never be taken away, that can never be touched unless you let it be taken away. And giving thanks for that gift. You can lose your job. You can lose your relationships. You can lose your life. But you can never lose the fact that 2,000 years ago, the Son of God went to the cross and bled and died for you that as you let him take over your life, you who deserve only hell will be given heaven. And as you remember that and give thanks for the fact that you who deserve only hell are given heaven, all of a sudden you begin to find a joy sneaking in that gives you an energy and a power and a peace and that lifts you up in the face of almost of anything, anything you're facing. Because nobody can take it away from you. And it's stronger than anything you're facing. Christian Malau, back in his day, was one of the first of the celebrity chefs we have a lot of them now. You turn on the, the cable, t you turn on the television, and you see uh, smart people teaching other people how to cook well. And, 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 and I don't cook, so I'm always impressed, you know. Um, and, and, but, but, but way back before them, you had Julia Childs, you had a couple of others, and you had Christian Malau. Christian Malau was maybe one of the first. He may have inspired Julia. Um, and he was, became very, very famous teaching people to cook 
at a much higher level than they ever had before. The first time he came to this country, uh, he was mobbed by reporters, mobbed by journalists, and he gave, a, gave a, 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 an interview, and they wanted to talk to him about cooking and all the different things, and they asked him this and they asked him that. And then one fellow toward the back raised his hand and said, uh, Mr. Malau, what is the finest meal you've ever had? Immediately, there were groans in the crowd, groans. Can you imagine asking a world-famous French chef who has cooked for kings and queens and presidents, who has been a part of these amazing experiences full of pomp and circumstance and, some, and all the capitals of the world. Can you imagine asking him, what's the best meal you ever had? But without batting an eye, without missing a beat, Christian Malau said, no question. I'll tell you the best meal I've ever had. It was bitter Nescafe coffee and cold Spam. People were stunned. The best meal this world-famous French chef has, has cooked all over the world in capitals and for royalty, the best meal you've ever had was bitter Nescafe coffee and cold Spam? He said, yep. I, he's a French Frenchman. He didn't say, yep, that's, that's Texan talking. He said, yes, that's the best I've ever had. He said, let me tell you about it. I grew up in occupied France. I was a skinny little kid. I had not eaten for three days. When the American tanks came rolling into Paris, I stood there with everybody else screaming my lungs out, cheering for them, thanking them. And then one of those tanks stopped right in front of our apartment. And those grubby GIs got out and they picked up this skinny little French kid and they put him on the muddy fender of their Sherman tank. And they shared their coffee and their spam. And I will never forget what it was like to celebrate with those who had won a victory for us we could never have won ourselves and who had set us free from a living death from which we could never have freed ourselves. He said, much has gone on in the years since. Much happens between countries. But I will live every day of my life thanking God for those American GIs who won that victory, set me free, and have allowed me to become who I am.
Friends, there's so much pain in the world, and I know that. But I want to tell you something. While you watch all the Hallmark movies and see the tinsel and the lights and hear all the things that are happening in maybe other people's lives and you wish were happening in yours, If all you've got is bitter Nescafe coffee and cold spam, you remember a victory has been won for you. A war has been fought for you. And no one can take that victory away unless you let them. For you and I and all who believe, who deserve only hell, are given heaven. Heavenly Father, in just a moment, we're going to have the time of offering. It's a time to give you thanks. Open our hearts to you. Give you gifts of money, time, attention, presence, witness, give you ourselves, let you show us how we can do things to make a difference for you in the world ahead, in the week ahead. And it's time, Lord, to simply be yours. Thank you. That long before we were born, in your son Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms on a bloody cross. There were long distance visions seeing us even as we're sitting here now. You could give us that which no one can take away. We hold on to it, Lord. Help us hold on to it more tightly and receive our hearts now as we give thanks to you. In the name and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.